With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. Are we on the air? Am I on the air? You're on the air. On the air 24-7, your news talk giant, TNT. Welcome to TNT. I'm Major David McBride, military whistleblower, and I'm filling in for Dean Mackin. And uh, uh, this is my last day on my own. Uh, probably a good thing. Shouldn't be trusted with uh, the equipment. And uh, But I've had tremendous fun. I guess the first thing I'm going to say in my editorial is to thank you to everybody, each and every one of the uh, TNT viewers. Uh, you are doing your bit to make the world a better place by at least viewing the station and listening uh, because at least you've got an open mind and uh, that's all anyone can ask for and you've rejected uh, listening to um, if you turned on the tv at this time you would see uh, so much propaganda rubbish uh, stories about fires and stories about uh, cheap petrol or murders and things which aren't really news. Murders are tragic, but they don't really, um, it's not, there's a certain amount every day, there's a certain amount of fires every day, and, and while they have a certain ooh-ah factor, uh, you're not really learning about what's going, really going on in the world and it doesn't enable you uh, to make decisions about your future which TNT does, and uh, we do uh, quite proud of the fact that we're totally uncensored. No one's uh, made any uh, editorial comments to me ever about you can't say this, you can't say that, and uh, I think that that's a fantastic thing. Yesterday, what I am going to take up on is something that was raised by Gemma, our English correspondent, who'll be back on, but about recruiting levels in the UK reaching a dangerously low level. I tweeted about it again this morning. Um, they would be equally dangerously low in Australia. In fact, the latest, latest we heard on this was that Australia was starting to start recruiting people from other countries to be in a defence force, which sounds all right that if you get a you know get a rugby team together to get in Pacific Islanders, but um, uh, will the Pacific Islanders want to go and fight the Chinese uh, on behalf of the Americans? And maybe they will if we pay them enough, but it does seem to defeat the purpose. We can't find people um, who want to defend Australia. And rather than just uh, go further down into gimmicky recruiting, perhaps we could just look at what we are doing at the top and the same at the refugee crisis and to say, do we have to clean out the Australian Defence Force leadership? Do we have to look at... Uh, what they do, because a lot of these scandals we've had in the past and with the Americans, and unfortunately, if the Americans have a scandal and we don't do anything about it, we are implicated. But if you go all the way back to Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay, uh, systematic war crimes and our own forces, uh, potential for covers up, you can see why people don't necessarily want to join the Defence Force. And in my case, they had a very interesting judgment, which I think might well be appealed in the High Court to say, as uh, even as an officer in the Defence Force, 
You only have a duty to do what your supervisor told you. There is absolutely no room for you to do what you think is right or what is right to support Australia in the long term. No wriggle room at all. In fact, in Australia, while this is not a problem for Gemma and the UK people, the judge in my case determined that the only duty you have is to King Charles, um, which is kind of extraordinary. Now, whether or not that's actually really to President Biden, for either way, for Australians to think that you actually only owe an allegiance to a foreigner uh, is, and you don't uh, get to actually, when you swear in front of the flag with the Bible, it means nothing. Um, you can see why people don't necessarily want to join the Defence Force. And we, after the fact, we lost a 20-year, $6 trillion war to the Taliban um, in their flip-flops and rusty AK-47s. You might suggest that our leadership is not actually that good. Um, and after I was sent, well, after I was convicted on the premise that it doesn't matter whether... Um, you, what you believe is right and what you are standing up for, even if there is corruption at the highest levels in the defence force. You cannot tell journalists now. Now, if that is the ruling and all we have to do is follow orders, um, you can see why people don't want to join. In fact, I got evidence from people who contacted me saying my son no longer wants to join the ADF, the Australian Defence Force, after he heard that there is only one duty and one duty only, and that is to follow the orders of your supervisor, uh, no matter how nonsensical they may be for Australia's security. So interesting, uh, something to think about. I'm going to be sentenced in about six weeks' time. I may get in jail, but either way, the Defence Force will be trying to rubbish me and say <clears throat> that I stood for nothing, but I... Uh, I don't think we're properly defended because I think that we have just become a political force rather than a military force. We'll see what happens. Um, anyway, it's about time we heard from Gemma. And so welcome uh, to our show, Gemma, coming in from London very early in your morning. Uh, tell us about what is going on uh, on the other side of the world in the, the country that is responsible for setting Australia up. Well, first of all, David, uh, I must say, I know it's your last day today, and I, I've really enjoyed working with you this week. And well done for standing up against the system. And I just wonder how many people in the Australian Defence Force, you know, who are serving still, agree with you. You know, they agree with you, but they can't say it. You know, they they, they totally understand where you're coming from. But you're the one that stood up against the system. And I wish you every luck over the coming weeks when it comes to your sentencing and you're you represent the spirit of tnt i think where, where we're moving away from the old guard and all these institutions that were supposed to be so great and so good you know i i walked away from the bbc it was supposed to be this amazing institution well i saw from 2020 onwards it was anything but and my illusions were shattered so i really my hat is off to you david all respect all respect to you thank you so much my friend and again i hope we see more of each other either in the uk in person or on the radio and it's been a pleasure talking to you. As I said, I'm a real Anglophile in the best sense of that word. And I, when I went there to join the British Army, I was so proud because I thought it was a first-rate institution. I thought things like the BBC were first-rate institutions, which could really hold their head above uh, the, the rest. 
And so I, I'm really quite shocked to think that, the, and, and what are we throwing away uh, for what, you know, to sell to sell soap powder, to sell politicians, you know, popularity. It does seem a terrible waste of, um, you know, things that have taken 500 years more, 1,000 bloody years to build up. Um, they're beautiful things. And uh, I love the, the history of democracy and history of parliamentary uh, democracy in the UK and the sacrifices that people made for it, even, you know, translating the... Uh, the Bible into English, people were sort of burnt at the stake for that. And um, yeah, that's what that's the spirit of TNT today. I think we are the people that actually see because there's no we get parodied and uh, you know pilloried, but there's no doubt the people that that, that suffered uh, at the birth of democracy were also considered outsiders and a little bit nutty. And why would you why would you care so much about truth or standing up to you know, unfair laws, but that as a result of people standing up, we actually have uh, the country, well, we used to have the countries we were all very proud of, and they don't come for nothing. And if you don't defend them, um, you know, you, we are not going to get to keep them. And uh, that's what we are doing. And none, none, none of us are terrorists. We are, we're just, uh, st we're just speaking our truths. And, um, we're treated like terrorists, we're treated like nutcases, but I mean, that is exactly what made our countries the good countries that they were by people saying, no, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't seem to be uh, the spirit of uh, fair play, fairness, that doesn't really stack up. Yes, it might be uh, pushing through for some popular benefactor or rich benefactor or country, but it doesn't really make sense under any uh, common sense standard. So yes, likewise, I've very much enjoyed uh, talking to you. It lifts my spirits every day, actually. It reminds me that there are good people all over the world and, and what we're actually standing for. I love the fact that you used to be in the BBC. I think we're kindred spirits. Um, and you would have joined it uh, in the spirit of public service and, and because it was excellent. You could have joined other places, but but because, uh, you know, if you're going to be a journalist, be, be a grizzly and be a really good one. But the idea that that... that has been trashed for nothing is is makes my blood boil well indeed and uh <clears throat> you were talking about the recruitment crisis uh there you know recruitment of i think all big organizations but the army is the one i'm going to go back to this morning because we did discuss uh the the speech the leaked uh document that, that gave uh, details of the speech that the head of the army was going to give yesterday we talked about that and the recruitment crisis he gave his speech in full after we'd uh, come off air after i'd come off air at tnt but it's caused a huge storm in the uk with with number 10 coming out in full guns late last night to kind of uh, dampen this down so it was the head of the british army sir patrick sanders gave his speech in full saying that you know there's a huge recruitment crisis in the british armed forces uh we only expect to have seventy two and a half thousand by next year he said even if we had one hundred and twenty thousand, it wouldn't be enough if we went to war with russia and he's calling for you know civilians to have a military mindset and be prepared to be called up interestingly one of the words in his speech yesterday was you Ukraine, this is a direct quote, Ukraine illustrates that regular armies start wars, <clears throat> citizen armies win them. Uh, so last night, Number 10 Downing Street has come out and said 
conscription is absolutely not going to happen here, even though we do have a recruitment crisis in the armed forces. Uh, the, the spokesman for number 10 said it was very disappointing that the general's co comments were leaked and made public uh, and caused this huge public debate about conscription, military conscription. He said uh, there are absolutely no plans for conscription and it's not helpful to debate whether or not Britain is strong enough to go to war with Russia. It's a hypothetical scenario and it really is not right to engage with these. Um, it doesn't do anything for public morale in the country. Um, but the defence circles in this in the UK have come out all guns blazing in support of what he said and said, yeah, whether you like it or not, this is the reality of war. The former head of the army said, you know, if push comes to shove, you need to harness the manpower of the nation, just like in First World War and the Second World War. You know, the regular army goes in first and the citizen army joins up. And that's just the way it is. The Armed Forces Minister says that we could be looking at a combined force of half a million involving troops and members of the public. And interestingly, he also said that we could recall um, former service personnel by law as long as they uh, have served within the last 18 years and they're under 18 uh, they sorry served within the last 18 years and are under 55 years of age now if that happens it could see the, the armed forces minister on the front lines along with god knows how this would happen prince harry which i think actually now given his recent conduct would put a lot of the uh, armed forces backs up they're quite very disappointed in him relinquishing his military role which was head of the armed forces uh, in, uh, and also this is very interesting that the uk is currently uk army is currently training ukrainian soldiers on uk soil in operation interflex to help them go back to ukraine with with skills because you know our army is widely regarded as quite good um, and and what they're saying is this could be a mission rehearsal to now train uk people uk civilians uh, to to fight and to go onto the front line if necessary, if we do go to war with Russia. And what some defence people are saying is that this recruitment and retention crisis within the whole of the armed forces here in the UK is a daily topic of conversation now with everybody in the army because they realise how serious this is. So he gave his speech in full yesterday. We touched on it yesterday morning. We looked at some of the figures, but it's interesting that Downing Street came out straight away late last night, issued a statement saying this isn't going to happen. Conscription does not happen now. The UK army is voluntary. Yes, in the Second World War and the First World War, we did ask for civilians. We're not going to do that again. Now, Rishi Sunak doesn't look like he's going to stay in office that much longer if we have a general election this year. So could another leader come in and go, no, I agree with this. Conscription is the way forward. But given the appetite for people now to go to queen and country, king and country and follow orders, like just like you said, follow orders, even though they don't agree. I think the last four years have changed people's mindsets. So it has created debate created a huge debate. Unsurprisingly, this was supposed to be a private speech given just to fellow members of the armed forces. The document was leaked. Now people are on it and really having a look at what this means for, for men and women here in the UK who could be called up if it, the situation with Ukraine and NATO and Russia begins to escalate and we are dragged into something more global. Well, I'm outside the brackets, uh, Gemma, but I would happily volunteer to go and uh... I'm over over 20 years outside. Oh, no, it's about, no, it's 30 years, actually, since I left the British Army, and I'm over 55. <laughs> but I would happily go if 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 I thought that Britain was really under threat and it wasn't just Rishi Shunak trying to stay in office or on the orders of uh, um, Biden. But uh, uh, so, yeah, I think if people believe in the cause, that is the key. And that's the problem with doing uh, 
political pantomimes, uh, pretending it's a war or pretending it's actually for good purposes, is you erode that trust. People were happy to join up in the First and Second World War, even though they knew what were involved, because they had believed in their country and they didn't think that their politicians uh, were sending them off on uh, some sort of crusade, which may have been for the benefit of uh, private equity firms for all they knew. And uh, so... It comes back to bite you. A lack of a lack of ethics uh, and corruption at the highest levels. You might think you get away with it because of your spin doctors, etc. But um, it has a knock-on effect, and uh, I think this is it. People don't want to join the defence forces because they don't trust the people at the top anymore, um, and that's it. It comes down to them. We, um, you know, if, if we got rid of uh, Sunak and and most of the other leaders. Um, as a final point, I will say good all all credit to the uh, head of the. Uh, it confirms my point that the British military is better than the Australian military. Good on him for saying something which didn't sit right with number ten, because in Australia that would never happen. The head of the defence force is basically a politician. He wears a uniform, but it's a con in that he would never say something that the prime minister disagreed with. Uh, and uh, which is a sad thing because that's exactly what they're meant to do. They're meant to be able to say, no minister, no prime minister, this is what we need to defend because it's actually there especially, as you said, they know what they know they know war. Sunak doesn't. And if they say we need to do X or Y, uh, it, we should do it. Um, and rather than just have political uh, 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 poodle fakers in the job, which is what we do in Australia. Anyway, I think we have to go to a break. I've loved talking to you again. And um, I don't know whether I'll see you tomorrow, but thank you again for your time this week. It's been an absolute pleasure for your thought-provoking pieces and uh, great to meet you. We're going to go to a break now. You are watching and listening to TNT. This is David McBride for Dean Mackin. TNT's Pella Neuroth-Taylor. We, we need to look, do a lot of recon, deconstruction of these phrases and, and really think about what it means because what does far right mean? I, I'd say that far right means anything that you don't like and um, it's just a label, a bit like the, the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent capitalist pig dogs, whatever. And it was just meant to evoke a response and it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that this is what you should think without actually having to think. It's, it's, it's a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, these are bad guys. And uh, a moderate, in, in, in our lingo, I mean, let's say it's foreign coverage, the BBC will say the moderate blah, blah, blah party in the third world, meaning, well, they're guys we approve of and then the extremist is someone we don't approve of. Helen Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. JDRF's vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community, we're energised by the type 1 community, and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist, and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day. 
until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days, they haven't drank anything, they're cold, they're dehydrated. As soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely mud. So the country has been long for drought so long, it was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution, and we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Uh, okay. And around the world. For any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution. One rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. TNTradio.live. Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT. Welcome back to TNT. I'm Major David McBride, military whistleblower, and I am filling in for Dean Mackin. And today we have our, well, Thursday, we've got our regular Thursday guest, Mr. Jeremy Begg, who is uh, known well to all your regular viewers. He's a geopolitical expert, and he is going to tell us about uh, what is going on with Europe and in the expansion of NATO. So what's happening, Jeremy? Yeah, g'day, David. A uh, couple of interesting stories here in recent news. The Prime Minister of Hungary, Viktor Orban, announced on Wednesday or yesterday that his government is in favour of Sweden joining NATO. Uh, so... That will be soon scheduled in a formal ratification in the parliament. Uh, now, Sweden applied to join NATO in May 2022. And of course, they cited uh, the Russian-Ukraine conflict as a reason. Uh, now, Sweden initially faced opposition from Turkey and Hungary. Now, the NATO rules require all members to consent before a new member can join NATO. So the Turkish government has only just approved Sweden's membership for NATO just on Tuesday, and now um, Hungary is set to follow. So uh, we're going to see some significant changes there. Obviously, Russia will not be happy about this development. Um, now, when Finland uh, officially joined NATO in April 2023, this doubled the length of the NATO border with Russia. Uh, and this has been an ongoing process, as you well know, uh, David, uh, where originally the West promised Russia uh, that they wouldn't push further and further to the east with NATO, but, uh, of course, they went back on that pledge, and this is more expansion yet again, and it seems um, that this is going to happen very, very soon. Now, if... Ukraine join NATO, I don't think that would happen. That would be virtually a declaration of all-out war, as if the, the current conflict in Ukraine is, is bad enough. 
So it's it's quite a, a very strategically important development. This, uh, I think it's a bad development, but it's a development nonetheless. Well, it's probably not surprising, isn't it? I agree it's bad. Um, I agree it can only lead to escalation. And you can see why Russia's frustration, it, it seems to be increasingly uh well it's it definitely it's an anti-russia federation uh it, it antagonizes them uh, for no particular uh benefit um you can imagine the swedes are probably getting some sort of benefit from uh the us i guess and um you know i don't think it uh, it, it is quite of a strange thing that that now sweden are joining uh they never wanted to join before when there was a real Soviet threat. Um, and uh, you've got nations like Hungary, who were never in NATO, used to be part of the Warsaw Pact, uh, are voting on them uh, on them joining. It's kind of uh, strange. You th you'd think the Russians would have more plans. I, I, I don't know whether they've already thought about it, but you'd think it makes me laugh to think the Russians should be applying to join. <laughs> see, what, <laughs> see what would happen. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it, it's uh, it's really quite sad what what's happened over in that region of the world, uh, and I, I can see that this is a possible escalation point further ahead. I mean, look, just think about it. Uh, this war in Ukraine has dragged on and on and on. Who does it develop? Who does it um, benefit uh, other than the the arms manufacturers uh, and and geopolitical interests who want they don't want a war to be won. They just want an endless war to grind, as a meat grinder, to wear down nations, to wear down Russia, to wear down the region, and to destroy Europe too, because these European countries which join NATO, it's not benefiting the European people for sure. It's it's just absolute madness. No, it's like with the submarines in Australia here, the huge expense. And uh, yeah, they're not benefiting the Australian people. And uh, it's it's quite ludicrous, and you've got it, and we've seen a dry run for this. This is why it is annoying. We think, oh, it's Europe, but different. In Afghanistan, we saw the same thing. We propped up a corrupt regime, which were never going to last. Of course, they didn't last, and all the people that we were paying, like Zelensky equivalents now, have run off. They live in California in big houses with money we would gave them to uh, to make the Afghan uh, defense force. Um, you know, the former Afghan defence minister is one of the richest people, I think, in America now with, with many huge houses which were bought by the US taxpayer. And I think Zelensky, in my opinion, is no better. So, yes, it's just making people rich. Anyway, we've got to be late for the news and so we're going to take a, a, a news break now and uh, you're listening to Jeremy Beck, David McBride on the Dean Mackin Show and... Uh, watching TNT, and we'll be back in just two minutes. And now... Dude, I have huge news. I knew it! Knew it. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. Tensions over border security are threatening to explode in the US as red state governors start mobilising support behind the state of Texas. UN Chief Antonio Guterres has hit out at Israel, calling its rejection of a two-state solution unacceptable. And Hungary has announced it's ready to ratify Sweden's NATO membership. It comes after Turkish lawmakers voted to approve the country's accession on Tuesday. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes, 
just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Oh, dinner's ready. Oh man, escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNT Radio Live. Welcome back to TNT. I'm Major David McBride filling in for Dean Mackin, and I have uh, the our regular Dean. Um, sorry, Jeremy Beck. Here is <laughs> also a producer. It's going to kick me <laughs> for getting it wrong. And we're st- discussing uh, the big geopolitical events in, in Europe at this week. So, what's the next one, Jeremy? Yeah, this is uh, an interesting one, David, in terms of trade, because uh, Russia and India are set to revitalize an alternative shipping line known as the Eastern Maritime Corridor. Uh, Now, Russian and Indian officials held very detailed talks yesterday or Wednesday in Chennai in India, and this is all about uh, reviving this shipping route, which was operational during the Soviet era. Uh, The route connects Vladivostok in Russia's far east and Chennai, which is on India's eastern coast. Uh, Now, businesses in both countries are interested given the unprecedented surge in oil, coal, fertiliser exports, et cetera, um, between the two countries, Russia and India. Uh, Now, tensions in the Red Sea also are obviously a big factor here too because the the current route to the trade between uh, Russia and India uh, through the Red Sea. Uh, Now, Indian Minister for Ports and Shipping and Waterways, Sarabana Dana Sonawal, called the Eastern Maritime Corridor a game-changer that would save up to 16 days of travel, significantly cutting freight costs. Uh, now, at present, um, as I said, uh, most of the, the trade goes through the, the Red Sea, uh, and this is conducted between India and Russia, uh, which is the Mumbai-St. Petersburg Sea Route. Now, of course, uh, anyone who knows India knows Mumbai is on the west coast of India, whereas Chennai is on the east coast. Uh, so the, the present trade between India and Russia goes from the west of India through the the Mediterranean and up all the way around to St. Petersburg. Uh, That's actually longer if you look at the map. Uh, And this route, which was uh, done in the Soviet era, it uh, looks like it's coming back again. Uh, Now, Russia's Arctic and Far Eastern ports account for around 40% of the country's maritime shipping. That's a significant percentage. Uh, and their freight turnover could double in the next decade with coal, crude and LNG being the key items shipped. So there's huge trade and, and these are growing economies, particularly India. India is now the most populous nation in the world. And I would expect India's economy, if things continue to grow, India may well end up being the world's biggest economy, given its population growth. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, <clears throat> it's it's interesting to see this as the uh, BRICS people flexing their muscle, and it's in some ways it's great to get to ha- get back to some sort of multipolar world. Uh, and why not India and Russia uh, uh, increase their trade, and then not have to? Of course, the, the Suez Canal and the Red Sea has a real stranglehold on so much, and. Uh, 
events in the Middle East, often affected by US interference. And yet if they can bypass that, good on them. Why not mm. and say we're not even going to bother with the Middle East anymore? Um, or or in fact, Western Europe, we're going to we're going to start trading um in places you didn't you think that you're the you know you you rule the world in Western Europe, but we're going to totally bypass you. I think it'd be a good thing, actually. Uh, I hope that it, it works out for them. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it it's interesting. Makes sense. The one uh, the the elephant in the room, of course, and the Americans won't be very happy, is that there there is one big country uh, in the middle of that uh, trade route, and that's China. And uh, maybe they will. We welcome it too, saying we will help. We will keep your trade safe. We will make sure that that route. Uh, stays open and that will enrage the Americans even more if it's untouchable to them and they can't um, uh, influence it. I mean, it's interesting that the uh, the Indians and the Russians want to trade on that route. They don't seem to have any fear of it. the Chinese closing the shipping lanes. Uh, that's all of that um, uh, scare, uh, catastrophizing in Australia, scaremongering, oh, the Chinese are doing this, the Chinese are doing that. But I think they're looking for flashpoints Rex Patrick talked about it yesterday to say he in, in the Michael West media to say he thought that the the so-called um, incident um, on one of our naval ships where apparently Chinese used some sort of a sonar device to harm our divers deliberately. Rex Patrick think that he's an ex submariner himself, so he thinks that that, that was talked up. And we're looking for flashpoints, and we we say that China is doing terrible things in the South China Sea, but I, I, I I'm suspicious of such. I think it's like a sort of a Gulf of Tonkin sort of incident where we are looking uh, to sort of create China uh, as the aggressor, so then we can uh, launch uh, so-called defensive measures, which which are actually probably unilateral aggressive measures. So, yeah, the fact that Russia and India seem to have total confidence in those trade routes suggests that they're not, um, the Chinese are not interfering with uh, normal uh, trade. And, um, yeah, maybe the, the, with the Chinese protecting them, this will be um, the beginnings of uh, BRICS flexing their muscles and actually working together because so some people have pointed out BRICS is a very good idea, looks good, but the, it, it doesn't do as much trade as you would imagine genuine trade between the the members but this could be um a a sign of things ramping up so good good on them i say i think uh you make many good points there david and also if you tie in the belt and road initiative you'd have potential for trade right across that massive eurasian continent and if europe decides to break away from this mentality of being so hostile to Russia, they could actually benefit from that increased trade. I'd like to see that at the moment. That wouldn't happen. But uh, I see a lot of positive developments. And of course, uh, this this shipping route is is uh, shorter. So why wouldn't the, the Russians and the Indians go this way anyway, regardless of the, the case in the Middle East the tensions with the Red Sea, the dangers in the Red Sea. Uh, actually, the the Red Sea, uh, well, the 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 Houthi uh, groups are not attacking Russian or Indian ships. They're they're attacking ships aligned with Israel or Israel's allies. So I think Russia and India wouldn't have too much to worry about that with direct attacks. But you know, 
it's still a dangerous area. So why not go around the shorter way? Well, exactly. And, and the fact that they're choosing a, a way dominated by China rather than a way dominated by the US uh, is a reflection, I guess. They're voting with their feet about well, you know, what's what's the truly the, the safest path. And it's the opposite to what you'd see in our propaganda in Australia to say, oh, you know, China's a dangerous country. The US is benign. But um, a lot of the world, as you said, the world's most populous country doesn't seem to think so. Well, the two world's most populous countries and, and Russia is up there as well. So um, once they start flexing their muscles, maybe this and this is, I believe, is why the US is uh, desperate for war because they can see that they're, they're going to fall back into if second place, third place, fourth place if they're not careful. They don't like that. Anyway, we're going to have to have another ad break before we have our second guest, Taylor Hudak. And uh, thank you uh, for watching, Jeremy and I, talking. And uh, again, this is David McBride, and you are watching TNT. We'll be back in just two minutes with Taylor Hudak. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Remember when you were in math class and they told you to check your work? You do remember that, right? Let's say you have five minus three, and that equals two. You want to check your work, go, well, take the answer two, add three, it equals five. Correct right well you can work backwards when checking your work when it comes to why the planet is warming at least i can with my hypothesis that this is geothermal in other words the input of extra energy from what is going on in the bottom of the ocean how can i do that well let's take a look at what's going on it's less cloudiness in the tropics now we all know that clouds are formed by the air going up right so that means the must not be as much air going up. Why would that be? Well, if we went from the North Pole to the South Pole, we had an average vertical velocity. And because of the normal distribution of temperature, the greatest vertical velocity, so where it's warm and moist, which would be the tropical oceans, then we'd have a certain distribution, right? Well, what happens when that distribution is disturbed by distortion? In other words, it's warming more in the north and it's warming more in the south than it is in between. Well, guess what? Less vertical velocity, less clouds. Less clouds, more sun hitting the ocean. More sun hitting the ocean, more outgoing long wave radiation. So this is being observed now. The mistake being made by people on my part of the argument, in my opinion, is that they believe that that is the tail wagging the dog. It's not. The dog that wags the tail is the input of geothermal energy. That warms the oceans, that puts the water vapor into the atmosphere, leads to distortion, leads to the difference in the vertical velocity patterns. So you see right in front of you, I checked my work on his hypothesis. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So if you're traveling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. One, check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. Two, think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighborhood safer place. Three, it's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, park in a cleared area, 
face the car towards the fire and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. Listen, we gotta talk. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to TNT. I'm Major David McBride, military whistleblower, uh, filling in for Dean Mack. And I'm a little bit excited. I'm tripping over my words because I've got a great friend of mine, a very special guest, all the way from Hungary, I think, the fearless, intrepid, incredible Taylor Hudak. Welcome to the show, Taylor. Thank you. Very kind of you. Always happy to be here. Yeah, well, you've always, I say it and I say it every time, you've got a very special place in my heart because when I was getting very first charged and and I was probably one of the first media appearances, it wasn't, I wasn't actually on, but my lawyers were on and it was a major national show. And you beamed in from uh, uh, from Cleveland, I think, and, and we're very... Um, uh, cultural cringe in Australia. We, we, sometimes when we see someone coming from overseas, especially someone who's spoke well and to the point like you, I think everyone got a bit of a shock to say, oh, this guy we're trying to put in jail has got supporters uh, on the other side of the world, well-spoken, intelligent supporters um, who are beaming in. Maybe we're up against something a little bit uh, not as going to be not as easy as we thought. So I've, uh, you've always got a special place in my heart. <laughs> and since Thank then- you. You've only gone on to uh, to do bigger and better things, and I marvel at you because you really you are quite fearless. And some of the issues you talk about, if not all of them, uh, are, are truly dangerous. And people we, we know um, uh, in this world. I was speaking to George Christensen yesterday, you know, a former MP, and he was talking about a case. We don't know the ins and outs of it, but it's not impossible. And it's, for someone that had been in the security services, I know what's uh, conspiracy and what what's um, what can be true, that someone may have been killed as a result of their investigations. And we know it's a fact that many environmental uh, reporters, in fact, I think in the, in the hundreds, if not many, 10, 50 each year get murdered simply for reporting on environment, you know, on uncomfortable issues. It doesn't matter whether it's the environment. It could be Big Pharma. It could be uh, the CIA or whatever. But you you can get yourself killed for uh, reporting certain things. And uh, if not killed, you know, the, it killed, you have your reputation killed, a bit like they tried to do to me. I get got a lot of support here, but I get rubbished also a fair bit. And so... Um, uh, I, I admire you because you <laughs> you seem to be like a sort of female James Bond over there. <laughs> you take on uh, you you are always uh, doing some pretty uh, tough stories, and you never take a backward step. Particularly Julian Assange. I mean, people get followed. People get um. Uh, I wouldn't be. They were talking. We know it's a fact. You know, I don't know why it hasn't caused more of a furor, but that the, the CIA were thinking of killing Julian Assange. And then that's the that's the evidence we know about. God knows how many times they were doing it, but that we don't know. Thinking about, um, and so tell us. Uh, I've done enough talking. You tell us about what's what's what what have you heard? What's the the lowdown on Julian Assange in Europe? 
Right. Well, first of all, again, thank you very much for that introduction. It is so important to always discuss the cases of dissidents, of whistleblowers such as yourself, and to shed light on these very important issues. And you asked me about Julian Assange. Now, this is, of course, a case that I have covered for the past several years. And there is a hearing coming up on February 20th and 21st. This is a very pivotal moment in the case. Uh, during this hearing, two judges at the UK High Court are expected to review a previous decision issued by the High Court in which they did not allow Assange to appeal the case and prevent his extradition to the United States. So here we are again back in court next month to determine if he can continue to fight this extradition domestically within the UK or if he enters into the U.S. extradition process. So for everybody listening right now, I would encourage you, there's still hope in this case to prevent Mr. Assange's extradition to the United States, but this is by no means an opportunity to feel too comfortable or to uh, get lazy. It's dependent on myself, on you, on everybody listening right now to really step up and do what they can to help make a difference in this case. If that means talking to your friend, talking to your neighbor, family member, sharing interviews such as this one, spreading the word, calling your representatives to talk about this case. Anything that you can do is, is really, really important from now up until uh, February 20th and 21st and also beyond that as well. Now, since this case started uh, with the arrest, let's say back in April of 2019, there have been numerous legal irregularities that have come to light. For example, it was uh, revealed that the CIA was in fact spying on Assange. There were also questionable witnesses who were working with the US government. We now know that these uh, witnesses, one in particular, lied about the nature of his relationship with WikiLeaks. There was also quite a bit of difficulty for the defense with preparing their case. And this case continues to move forward through the judicial process. You know, during the hearing, there was one moment that was quite remarkable. This was back about two years ago in October of 2021, in which one of the attorneys actually said there is nothing normal about this case, and he couldn't have said it any better. So it, as I said, really important for people to be aware that this is a pivotal moment, and it's time to, to really take action and step up. Yeah, no, I think it's a quite an exciting time. I... Um like you, obviously, I don't know as much about the case as you do, but I've, I've studied it, you know, fairly closely. And I I don't know what's going to happen. I can't, I don't have a feel for it. I, someone who, who who's also a, a bit of an expert came on the other day and he said he didn't think that uh, Julian Assange would be moved because it would just be political dynamite if he was on American soil, it would bring him into American minds and it might start becoming an issue for the presidential election and it'd be uncomfortable and they're not going to have good answers. A lot of people who don't have never heard of Julian Assange will start hearing about him if he if he comes out, simply because sometimes you have to use the media for their own advantages. And no doubt someone coming off an aeroplane in handcuffs with a huge amount of uh, SWAT teams around him, no doubt, will get the media out just for that ooh-ah factor uh, oh, this is a dangerous person or whatever, and the the American cult of celebrity could actually help us and in the sense that people will just start filming, talking about this guy as if he's El Chapo or something, and that could lead to more people saying, hang on, 
Uh, what's his crime, really? Trying to tell us the truth about what our country's doing in our name. Um, but I agree, um, it, it now's the time. Uh, I think now, I, I, I guess if I had to make a call on it, I think something will happen before he's extradited, probably in Britain, and as a result of people power. I think this is our Vietnam War protest moment. This is the sort of thing that will be made into a movie like The Trial of the Chicago 7. And even though uh, we are the, we are, whether the majority or minority, but we don't, it doesn't feel, we're not painted as heroes in the same way that The Trial of Chicago 7. You watch that movie and the protesters and the uh, the activists are definitely the heroes. Now, people like you, uh, people like Julian and Stella, they're definitely going to be the heroes in this movie, whether or not the public understand it or not. There's no doubt when we look back on the Vietnam War, uh, it's the protesters and um, who, who who did the heroic thing, and that will be the case. And now, so that's our call to people out there, especially if you're in the UK, well, it's a lot of Australian Assange supporters would give their eye teeth to be actually able to be part of this uh, massive sort of uprising of, of popular opinion, and you can express it some way in the UK by getting on the streets, writing to your MP. As you said, talking to friends, this new movie coming out will help. Uh, the Trust Fall, it's very good. Um, I can't remember whether you're in it or not. Um, I was very briefly in it, and I think I might. I'm not sure whether I, I've been edited out. <laughs> <laughs> However, it's very, very good, and um, and and it's a great thing. If you don't, if you're undecided about the science, that is fine. That is absolutely fine. Watch this movie. Talk to people. Um, and the good news is a lot of people who were against him. Even I wasn't particularly for Julian Assange until I looked into the case, and I know that. Um, Plenty of other people, especially lawyers, have said that. We thought one thing, and actually it turns out that that, um, that wasn't the case, you know. And now the more that you actually look into it, you you actually it's hard not to become a supporter once you look into it. And you remember, you're comparing his actions. He doesn't have to be an angel, but you're comparing his actions with the actions of people like George W. Bush, um, Mike Pompeo, Hillary Clinton, um, and so uh, it's one thing trying to hold him out for his uh, uh, whatever flaws you may think him have, but compare that to any of the uh, Tony Blair, compare their flaws, um, and you think you, he'll come out pretty well, I think. And uh, if not, is, is a bit of a saint. And so, yeah, get it's an exciting time to be in Britain. You get a part of it. Only, you've only got a month now. You got a month to go to get involved, and uh, I, I agree with you. Let's be enthusiastic. Winners are grinners. People want to be on the winning side. They want to be on the smiling side. Let's not be downhearted. Let's say uh, get on board this train because you will be you will be happy when it's all over. You will be happy to be able to say, look back on your life and say, I was part of something really good. I stood up for a man who was being sacrificed. Um, uh, really, by there's no other way to put it, but the forces of evil, really, who just don't want the truth to come out, and they're prepared to kill people in order to keep that truth uh, quiet. Yes, exactly. And let me say this, the continued pursuit of Mr. Julian Assange is an embarrassment to the U.S. government on a global stage, because I said uh, several years ago, and this still stays true today, is that the continued prosecution of this case 
each day that we continue to to prosecute Mr. Assange is just one more day that the United States betrays its own constitution and namely the First Amendment, which asserts the right to a free press. And this case is a threat to the First Amendment. And I could tell you, when I talk to your average American who knows a little bit about this case, they do not like this prosecution of Mr. Assange. They really view it as a threat to fundamental freedoms, as I said, outlined in the First Amendment. And as we have seen over the years, there has been increasing support for Mr. Assange. You have all of the major civil liberties and human rights organizations around the world have come to a consensus that they are calling upon the U.S. government to drop the charges against Assange journalists in the mainstream media and of course in the independent media support his immediate release so i think that the best thing to happen of course is for the case to be dropped not only for the broader press implications for mr assange's health but also for uh the u.s government well it looks like um the cia have got rid of taylor Hood. she was obviously making too much sense <laughs> they have pulled the plug and uh but yes it's now uh late february is when uh, the julian assange the final uh, appeal will be held it may take some time after that but it's a great time to get involved whether they want to admit it or not the judicial system pays attention uh to the public mood uh he clearly is in the right and it's not so much about julian assange in fact it's not really about him at all uh, it's about the future uh, and if if Julian Assange is murdered in prison, which is effectively what they will be doing, it will be a pivotal spot uh, time for the world. It, it will mean that the state narrative on war, murder, uh, Holocaust, uh, death by experimental uh, uh, medical procedures, who knows, that will be the precedent where you, uh, the government will be able to get away with anything, basically. Because if you speak up, you'll be jailed or killed or both. Uh, if they can get away with it with Assange, and people, if, if they do get away with it, uh, and we do enter this sort of more and more dystopian world controlled by corporate culture, which, you know, you you that sounds like I'm talking uh, science fiction, but I can tell you, and I live in there, in that world, it's not science fiction anymore. Uh, huge uh, corporations which control our our governments by donation. There's no there's no uh, sorcery involved. If you give a big enough bag of money to any political party, you will get your way. It's not magic. Um, it's simply uh, corruption. And these people are, are bribing the political parties, and we are getting legislation legislation about oil exploration written by oil companies, legislation about pharmaceuticals written by pharmaceutical companies. Assange represents a tipping point. He is the canary in the coal mine. Uh, and you need to protest uh, with your, all your might, because if he goes down, if I go down, uh, it's, it's going to get harder and harder to get justice against the globalization if you watch tnt you probably know that uh here you uh you hear the, the truth i've got no uh not getting paid by anybody to say these things i'm facing prison myself uh, 
And uh, so we put our money where our mouth is at TED. And I just want to thank everybody for coming on. Thank you for Taylor Hudak. Um, I hope you haven't been kidnapped by the CIA.